He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's right. This morning, I invite you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 24. As a church, we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke over the last six weeks. This is our seventh week, and we have one more to go next week as we look at the final part of Luke chapter 24. But today, we look at the first 12 verses of chapter 24 about the resurrection. Now, as you're finding your your way there, I always want to encourage you as we begin these times together of how I see God at work in this body. Some of the things that that just excite my soul that I see going on here that I realize we don't all get to see because we don't all live the same lives. But this week I received a letter from one of our members, a longtime member who is in her mid-90s. Um, her name is Miss Barbara Knost. And Miss Barbara, if you're watching this morning, I want to say Happy Easter to you and thank you for worshiping with your faith family. Um, she wrote to say that she continues to pray for you, um, that she continues to look for opportunities to labor with you in doing ministry. She, she uh, partners with her granddaughter, Ava, to be able to help get things to the, the church for Fuel the Future and for other ministries like that, and is always looking for opportunities to continue to serve Christ even in her mid-90s. And I rejoice over that. I want you to see the long track record, how that that, that is meant to inspire the faith in our children. I want my children to be influenced by the faithfulness of members like Miss Barbara and others like that. And so thank you for being a faithful church that walks with Christ in all seasons of life, who doesn't see the retirement years as a time to distance yourself from Christ and his mission, but really maybe even to be more fully engaged than you were able to maybe younger in life. And so I just want to thank you for that and continue to encourage you to keep going in that. Do not grow weary in doing good for at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. So First Baptist New Orleans, don't give up. Keep going, keep laboring in our city and among the nations for his glory. This morning as we look at Luke 24, we meet a story that's familiar, one that we, we know, one that, that's, you know, we've kind of committed to memory because of its, its central significance in our faith, and that is the story of the resurrection. And so this morning, I'm, I'm hopeful that we will continue to walk with Christ amazed, That's the final kind of phrasing at the end of this little passage. Peter went away amazed at these things. And and this is a disciple, a disciple who has walked with Jesus, who has seen him do many things that left him amazed. But this uniquely is the description of Peter's response to this empty tomb. He's not yet seen the risen Christ yet. But there is something significant here that's being communicated to him by the women who have had the encounter with the angels, um, the, the ones that have gone to the tomb and have reported back that he's not there. An angel has told us that he's risen. And it says the disciples doubted them. They, they didn't believe the women. But Peter, there was something in him that went back to the tomb and was amazed, amazed at what he was saying, amazed at what this might mean. And I hope that you and I will again be amazed at the resurrection in our walk with Jesus. So I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We stand as a church to honor God as he speaks to us through his living word. And so hear God speak to you today from Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, that being the women who back in chapter 23, it says the women who had come from him 
with him from Galilee followed along and observed the tomb and how his body was placed. And then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So then it continues in chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, it's important to note that over in Mark's gospel of this same account, the women, their, their conversation is noted that they're talking with each other, how are we going to roll away the, the stone? Uh, they're wondering, how are we going to get in because it's such a huge stone and how are we going to do this given our strength? And so they went in to the tomb but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, it is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women were with them telling the apostles these things. But the words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. And while he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. He went away amazed at what had happened. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I pray that today you would you would set us in awe of what you have done in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. May the riches, the gift, the power of the resurrection be what we experience today so that we are amazed at what you have done for your glory. May it wash over us fresh. May it change our lives. And for any today who are still dead in their sin, may this be the day of their resurrection where they are united with Christ and experience life abundant and life eternal. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. We wanna walk with Jesus amazed. But in this passage, and you'll see it right in verse six, there's only one imperative that is given by the men that are dressed in dazzling clothes, and it's this, remember, remember. Remember, in the Old Testament, if you're a student of the scripture, you know that the call in God's word again and again and again is to remember, to remember. And so we are a people who even today continue in the long legacy of faith, remembering. We are remembering what God has done. And there is something powerful that takes place in the life of a believer when we remember, when we remember. And so today, with that imperative in view, I want us to see this passage and to remember it afresh and to walk through it together. You see, I want us to be amazed as we walk with Christ Jesus as we remember the empty tomb. Remember the empty tomb. Remember the empty tomb. Let that, that scene Come back to your mind, this empty tomb. Now, it's important to kind of walk through here 
On the first day of the week, that would have been Sunday. The Jewish calendar was such that the Sabbath, the last day of the week, was it began on Friday evening and ended on Saturday evening when the sun set. So it was these 24-hour periods that began with night and ended with day. In case you've ever wondered, how is it that Jesus was in the tomb three days if it was not until Friday afternoon that he died and then early Sunday morning, it's because of the Jewish way of counting days. And so it's important to just understand that that's the three days that we get, the Friday that really began late in the evening on Thursday, and then Sunday, halfway through the day being the early morning. And so we kind of look through and we see that, that early on the first day of the week, why that day? Because the Jewish women who were coming to Jesus to anoint his body with these fragrances and these, and these um, spices, they observed the Sabbath. That's what's back in chapter 23. And they came very early in the morning. That's a little bit of the tradition of the sunrise service that many churches will sometimes participate in, where you're there as the sun rises to really commemorate and remember what is taking place. And they came to the tomb we noted from the Gospel of Mark that the stone, they were wondering how are they going to roll it away, but it's already rolled away, and they're bringing spices that they had prepared. And, and understand that the women, it's the women, and we're going to look at that more specifically in a moment, who are so concerned with honoring Jesus even in his death. The, the disciples, the men, they, the, 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 the apostles, the 11 that are still remaining because Judas is no more, they have withdrawn. They're, they're in this time of mourning. We even see them in the other gospel accounts. They're returning to some of their industry that they had left years before, such as fishing. And so they're in a different place of mind, but the women uniquely are wanting to honor the Lord Jesus. And they're wanting to put fragrance and incense on him. And when you look back at the Old Testament, you see incense as being something that the priests would be offering to the Lord to rise before him. You fast forward over to the New Testament and you see how the, the prayers of the saints rise up to God as incense. And it's almost this combination of an idea of them anointing his body as though they're saying, Lord, receive your servant. Receive him. May, may, may he rise to you a fragrant offering. And so they're honoring the Lord in his death, but they come and they meet an empty tomb. Now understand this, it's not just that the New Testament people were gullible or, or really naive. They're like, whoa, his body's not here. That must mean he's resurrected. That'd be kind of a leap, right? I mean, if you went to the tomb of a loved one and you went there and all of a sudden it's cracked open and we have above the ground, you know, tombs here in New Orleans. And so you can see that it's been tampered with and further evidence, you look and it's empty. You don't immediately go, oh my goodness, they're alive. They, they, they got out. That's not where your mind immediately goes. You immediately think exactly what probably everybody else was thinking when Jesus's body was gone. And probably even these women, even though it's not inserted here in the text, is that someone's taken him. Some, you know, Gosh, I mean, it's bad enough they crucified him. They handed him over to the Romans. Now they got to do this. But immediately, immediately in this moment, it says, while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. So who are these two dazzling clothed figures? Most likely angels. We see them portrayed at the beginning of the gospel, the angel Gabriel being this messenger. 
We, we understand that throughout the Old Testament that there were often visions and things like that. And then I want to even fast forward to today and how I, can, I think there continue to be this angelic involvement in preparing people to meet the risen Lord. You see, I have some friends that recently, a few years ago, traveled to Italy to work among Syrian refugees that had fled from Syria and were finding refuge in communities. These communities were, were by and large Muslim communities, and so they went there with the purpose of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ in these areas. You see, for many missionaries, especially for us that might do a short-term mission trip, going to Syria is a no-fly zone. We can't just go in for missionary purposes, but you can go into Italy in, in order to then interact with Syrian people. And I want you to see the strategy there with the International Mission Board. And so missionaries laboring there among refugees, uh, or hosting teams coming in. And so I have a brother that's now a pastor over on the East Coast, the brother in the faith, and then a sister that's from Brazil. And they were on a team with one other American. And so they were going about and doing evangelism and going places. And then it was getting closer to the end of the day and they were walking past an alleyway and there was something that prompted my, my sister in the faith that they needed to go down that alley. Now, the missionaries have been clear. You need, you need to stay together in your group. So they were staying together in their group. The missionary had been clear, hey, when it gets dark, we need to be in. And so they could see that the sun was beginning to set. So they were looking at all these factors. And the missionary had also been, been sure to kind of advise them like, hey, you know, try to avoid, you know, hidden spaces like alleys. So there they are. And there's just something that stops my sister Sarah. And she says, we need to go down here. So the other guys say, uh, you know, it's about dark. I know. We're, you know, going down alleys, is that really the best idea? I don't I know, but I just really feel like the Lord is leading me to go down this alley. And so they go. They walk down. It's somewhat abandoned, looking around. And as they pass a doorway, they see a man sitting on the floor. And they just kind of wave and greet him. And they, they share that almost like with kind of a startled look, like, I can't believe that I'm seeing you. He emerges from the doorway. And he says, and he's just like, he's very eager. He, he's wanting to talk to them. And so they have a translator with them as well. And, and they begin to converse and stuff like that. And this man tells them, last night, I had a vision of a man in white dazzling close, who told me three people, three people will come to you and they will tell you the truth. Listen to them. And he said, you have come to tell me the truth. What is it? They said that never in their life had they had anyone tell them, tell me the truth. And they shared the gospel with this man. And in that moment, he professed faith in Jesus Christ. And then he said, we have to go tell my family. And so then they make arrangements to then begin to go share his family. And this man begins immediately to grow in his faith and to celebrate what God has done for him. You know what that's a story of? That's a story of the empty tomb. That's a story of the empty tomb. That is the story of angels preparing one who truly was dead in his sin to experience the gospel. You say, well, gosh, well, 
then do we even need to busy ourselves with bringing this gospel to the ends of the earth? Notice what happened. The, the angel in this moment prepared the man to hear the gospel. The, the angel didn't tell him the gospel and say, missionaries, stay home. God has ordained that you and I will go and tell. But there are angels, just like here in this passage, that are preparing people even today to hear and to meet the risen Lord. To hear that, connect that to this moment. And notice what the angel said. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. So that's where we understand immediately the women understand that he is risen because two angels are telling them he has risen. So they're not just jumping to conclusions, although later that's what the disciples are going to think. But why is this significant? Why do we need to remember the empty tomb today, you and me? Well, what's the big deal? Because, because the empty tomb counters our greatest fear. It counters our greatest fear. Now, for most of us, what we immediately think of when we think about what the empty tomb counters, it's death itself. That I can trust that even though I die, one day I'll be resurrected. I mean, hear that. Some of us in this room think, well, I'm closer to death than somebody else, but none of us in this room know our day or hour. We, we don't know. We, we like to think kind of statistically, well, you know, like I'm probably, you know, likely to live till I'm 80 or, or whatever the expected life is, all that, but we don't know. You don't know how long your life will be. But for many of us, as we contemplate death, and you know, the last two years were a time that a lot more of us contemplated death than we ever had before. Maybe you remember the first time you got COVID and you were like, oh man, like how, how am I gonna react to this? Like, am I gonna get really sick? Am, am I gonna die? And maybe your mortality, the, 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 the limited shelf life on your life really hits you in a fresh way. Well, the resurrection speaks a message that we need to receive that we don't have to fear death because one day we too, like Christ, will be resurrected. You see, the story of the resurrection is not just a story about Jesus and what, what happened to Jesus. It's not just simply that he got raised. What Paul makes clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is that Jesus being raised is our hope because one day we will be raised with him. That there is hope beyond the grave. But as I really sat and thought on this reality of our fearing death, where I think we really need to allow the empty tomb to invade our life is not in not being afraid to die, but in not being afraid to live. Most of us right now, if we are honest, we are really afraid to live full throttle for Jesus Christ in this life. We are hedging our bets. We are holding back. We're, we're concerned about what risk might mean for us. That if I live too much for Jesus, what's that gonna do for me in the workplace? If I live too much for Jesus, what are my neighbors gonna think of me? If I give myself too fully to the Lord, I mean, what's this gonna look like? Am I gonna become a missionary? And we begin to temper our lives being fully given to Christ 
indicating that we're fearful of truly living. And we live these timid lives, these timid lives that are controlled by things that we can control. We can control church attendance. We can control giving. We can control some of these variables. And please don't hear me minimizing those. It is an act of faith to give to your local church. It is an act of faith to prioritize worship. But if it only comes down to a few hours a week and a few dollars given, then there comes a place where we have to really ask ourselves, am I fully giving myself to Jesus Christ for his glory in this world? Have I fully given my career to him, saying to him, Jesus, you are greater than my career. Jesus, I'm giving you my marriage because you are greater than my marriage. My marriage is for your glory, not just for my own enjoyment. Jesus, I'm giving you my children because you're greater than our family and our family exists for your glory. You see, that's full living. That's full life. And so many of us are fearful of really living the Christian life rather than just afraid of dying. But the empty tomb, the empty tomb says you don't have to fear a life fully given to God. I mean, consider Jesus. Consider the gospel. Jesus, pursuing the will of the Father, meant the cross. That was God's will for his life, that he would give himself as a ransom for many. That was his will. That was God's plan for his life. But Jesus did not need to fear God's plan for his life. Why? Because three days later, he rose again and is now ascended to the right hand of the Father where he rules and reigns forever. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He did not need to fear fully living unto God's will, unto God's glory, for God's glory. He didn't need to fear living that life, even though that life meant death. You say, well, Chad, what does this drive at? I can't escape the story of a, of a missionary couple that John Piper recounts the story of. Two ladies that were senior adults who in their retirement decided to spend their retirement years making the gospel known in a country in South America. And one day as they were traveling from a mission site to go back to the place where they slept, the brakes failed on their vehicle and they sailed off the side of a mountain and were both killed instantly. And we could look at that and say, their lives were wasted. What a tragic end. They would have been safer back here in the U.S. They would have been safer back here if they had just kept attending church and doing small things in little clusters and just living a longer life. But I will tell you, I will put forward to you that those women sailed into eternity with the hope of the resurrection, and in the day of the resurrection, in the day of Christ, they will rejoice that they gave themselves fully to the very end of their lives for the, making the glory of Christ known through the gospel among all the nations. They won't regret that. But can I tell you that by more than one bedside have I sat with individuals who end their lives in regret Regret that they did not more fully give themselves to the Lord and to his purposes and to his will being done. In fact, they lament the selfishness that they've lived. But those two sisters, 
They ended life well. And so my hope for you and I is that the empty tomb will be for us a reminder that we will remember the empty tomb, that we don't have to fear fully living for Jesus. Not just not fear death, but we don't have to fear living for his glory because he's got us. And if we've been buried with him in his death, then we will be resurrected with him in his life and for all of eternity. The passage doesn't stop there. The angels continue, remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee saying, it is necessary that the son of man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. I want us to be amazed as we remember the promised gospel. You see, Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, I passed on to you of what was of first importance, that the Lord was crucified according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by many witnesses, and all of these things. And he goes on, and he's laying down exactly what the angels are reminding the ladies of, that Jesus said had to be fulfilled. You see, Jesus all along was promising, I'm going to have to go and suffer many things. I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem and die. And I'm going to be buried and I am going to be raised to life. Jesus fulfilled all these things. Now, why is that important for you and me? Because if Jesus said these things are going to happen, and then he also promised that if I leave, it's only because I go away to prepare a place for you and I will come for you. You see, the gospel is important for us to remember because it orients us to our future. The gospel points us back squarely to what Christ has done for us, and it tells us that one day the dead in Christ will be raised with Jesus. It proclaims our story. It is our hope. The gospel being proclaimed here by the angels, it was necessary for the Son of Man to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and rise on the third day is the heart of the message that is the power of God under the salvation for all who believe. That's how Paul opens the book of Romans. He says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. And he acknowledges that it's it's ludicrous. It's insanity. I get it. To believe that a man that lived 2,000 years ago who lived a perfect life, who died on a cross for your sins and for mine, for the sins of the whole world, who was then buried and then raised by God on the third day. That if you'll believe in him, if you will give your life to him, if you will believe that what he did on the cross was all that's needed for your salvation, then you'll be saved. Saved for all of eternity. That right now that heart of stone that you have in you will be pulled out like a heart surgeon doing a transplant, and a heart of flesh will be given to you. But but as it is in any heart transplant, in order for you to get a new heart, if you're on the transplant list, someone has to die. You can't have a partial heart transplant. There's other organs. You can give a kidney and still hold on to one, but you can't give a heart without losing your life. And Jesus Christ gave his life for you to give you his very own heart. That's the gospel. That's the power of what God has done for you and me. And this was a promised gospel. You see, when Jesus says, I must do these things, it wasn't just because he was hard-headed. I mean, all of you ladies are married to hard-headed men in this room. 
We say, well, I'm going to do it this way. Well, why are you doing it that way? You don't have to do it that way. There's an easier way. I know, but I said I was doing it this way. It wasn't just that Jesus was hard-headed and said, you know what? I'm going to have to do this the hard way. And his disciples were like, Jesus, there's got to be an easier way. And he's like, no, I've already made up my mind. These things were foretold in the scriptures. That's why Paul, when he mentions this, he says that he was crucified according to the scriptures. He was raised according to the scriptures. In other words, this was God's plan. That's why Jesus bowed himself in the garden of Gethsemane and said, Father, not my will, but yours be done, acknowledging this was your plan. And while it was excruciatingly difficult for Christ, he knew that God was with him and that God would see him through his death and his burial and in the day of his resurrection. He knew that was coming. And that is our hope that the one who experienced these things has said, has spoken, has promised to you, and surely I am with you until the end of the age. The one who spoke these things says, I am faithful, I will do it. The one who promised and fulfilled the gospel, the crucifixion and the resurrection is the one who says, I am coming for you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. This is our Lord. This is our hope. The resurrection is our hope of of fulfilled promises that gives us hope that another promise will be fulfilled. You see, it's one thing if promise after promise is broken. My children should have no confidence in me if I tell them I'll do this and then I don't. And then I'll tell them I'll do this and then I don't. They'll have a weakened confidence, but everything Jesus said he would do, he has done. And so therefore, what he has said he will do, he will do. And you can rest in that. You can be sure of that when you face difficulties of various kinds in this life, that the one who promises faithful and he will do it. But the passage goes on. And this is where it comes to give us great hope today. It says, Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the 11 and all the rest, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Today, I want us to be amazed as we walk with Jesus, remembering the faithful women. Remembering the faithful women. Now, we're in a day today more than we have been historically, where women and their role within the church and their their role within the workplace, their role within our society, all of these things is acknowledged and valued. Now, that fight is not over. Those difficulties still exist in the workplace, in the church, all of these things. But I want you to see what Luke is doing. Luke, very carefully, is capturing not just the gender women, He's capturing the names, Joanna, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women. He is giving acknowledgement that these were the faithful. Notice that it was these faithful women who were with Jesus, with the, the mother of Jesus, even at his crucifixion, watching at a distance. And then they followed, and, and notice how Luke even records, they watched exactly where and how his body was laid. And then they went and began to prepare the spices. And they waited in accordance. They worshiped the Lord with faithful hearts. 
resting on the Sabbath. Can you imagine how difficult that Sabbath was? To, to, to sit in the stillness and just reflect on what you've just watched the day before. The crucifixion of the Messiah, the one that you thought was going to set everything right and now all hope is lost. They didn't understand the resurrection. They, they, they did not remember those words. All hope was lost and yet they persevered in their faithfulness and they come to the tomb that morning, the women come to the tomb and then it is the women who immediately go out telling the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, I continue to be inspired by women and their faithfulness. In many churches today, it is women who labor faithfully in order to serve Christ and to serve the body. It's women still today that labor in the International Mission Board and among the North American Mission Board in the work of proclamation, of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, of bringing the gospel to unreached people groups. We still, the International Mission Board appoints more women than they do men. And then when you get to single adults, it's far more single women than it is men who go with the International Mission Board. Every one of our offerings is named after a woman, Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong, Georgia Barnett, and Lillian Gray here in our own association. Faithful women being acknowledged 2,000 years ago in a day when women were quickly overlooked. Their place was ignored, their voice small, their voice even here hard to believe. But is it just because Luke is trying to create a, a type of feminist movement that he's doing these things. Is this Luke's agenda? See, that's what we have to be mindful of, right? Is that there are movements and there are agendas. And sometimes, and you may have fallen prey to this yourself, sometimes you get on a bandwagon and then once going, you realize this isn't what I thought. I got caught up in something. And, and I didn't realize the consequences. I didn't realize what it was doing to somebody else in order to get this done. And is that what Luke is doing? Or is this God saying, this is my economy. This is how I elevate the humble. This is how I have ordained for women to be honored and acknowledged and to have a voice among my people proclaiming this good news. You see, the latter is the case. So that Paul can go on to say that in Christ, there are no longer the distinctions that we would make among one another, male and female, Jew and Gentile. He says, all of those things have been laid aside. We are all now one in Christ. And that's on display here. But you might say, well, Chad, I don't have much of a voice. I'm not significant in my world. I'm at the bottom of the ladder. I feel like I have the smallest voice, the least influence, all of these things. Take heart. Take heart. He exalts. He lifts up the humble, even when his people do not. He exalts the humble. He lifts them up. He uses their voice in ways they could never imagine. 
Elizabeth Elliot had no idea. She did not conceive the influence that she would have as a result of going to the Alka people with her husband, Jim Elliot, to labor with other missionaries to bring the gospel to an unreached people group. She didn't know that her husband would die bringing the gospel to these people. A man who had looked at the empty tomb and said, I can give it all to Christ. I can trust in his resurrection and therefore I can go and live fully for him even in the face of danger. She didn't know that he would end his life being speared to death along with the other missionaries. And she didn't realize that the simple act of obedience that she sensed from the spirit leading her to go back to the very people group that had killed her husband a little over a year after his death would result in that entire people group coming to faith in Jesus Christ and God giving her small voice, her small voice and unsurpassed in our generation voice to speak to women and to men to inspire them to live for Christ and for his glory of what it means to love your enemy of what it means to forgive. God exalts, he lifts up the humble. And so if you're here today and you say, my faith is in Jesus, then I ask you, humble yourself. You say, Chad, I'm already in a humble context, then persevere. Do not grow weary in doing good for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. You never know how God will use you. You say, well, but Chad, I'm a, I'm a female in a, in a man's world. Not in God's economy. Not in God's system. There is not this putting down to lift up another. There is unity in our proclamation of bringing this gospel to the nations to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We labor together. We do so for his glory you say, Chad, does that mean that there is no such thing as gender? No. God has beautifully set us in complement to one another. God has beautifully given us male and female for his glory because both reveal his likeness. We go all the way back to the garden and we see he made them in his image, male and female. He created them. And so therefore we labor together, acknowledging the distinction and the beauty of complement that we each have in the role of the family, that we each have in the role of the church, all the while lifting one another up, all the while honoring one another, all the while acknowledging that Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. So be amazed. Be amazed at the empty tomb and live for Christ. Be amazed as you remember the promised gospel because he who promised he would die and be raised has promised he will come again. Be amazed and remember the faithful women and remember that God desires to use the humble in his kingdom to proclaim his goodness among the nations and he desires to use you in that same way in your current state, your current status for his glory. 
But be amazed, first and foremost, that God in his grace has done all of this in order to save sinners like you and me. You see, that's what we noted a moment ago when we talked about the kids' camp and about the three circles, that God did something in order to bring us back to him. You see, God initiated this whole thing called salvation. This wasn't our idea. We didn't come up with a way for God to help us. We were in need. We were estranged and far from God, but God did something, and that's that he sent his son. Luke records it so beautifully. We remember on Friday that then Christ died, being crucified for you and for me. He was buried, and then we celebrate today that he rose again. And that rising again was then expressed in an invitation where then he then came down and began to walk with the people and eat with them, restoring them to a place where they had, they had fallen away from him, they had gone away, and he restores them, he empowers them to follow him again in order that they might walk with him. And you say, but Chad, then he leaves. The walk did not continue But yet God fulfilled his promise by giving the Holy Spirit so that Paul can stay, keep in step with the Spirit so that we continue to walk with Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. But unless you personally turn from your brokenness and sin and trust and follow Jesus, you won't be amazed by the empty tomb. You won't be amazed by the promised gospel. You won't be amazed how he exalts these faithful women, you'll just continue in your brokenness and sin, trying to fix you, trying to fix this world, but doing so without the power of his Holy Spirit within you. Today, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, I invite you to do that today. You say, well, what does that look like, Chad? I do wanna get right with God. When I was 16, I simply got down on my knees in the woods of Mississippi and I prayed a prayer like this, God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that you gave Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. So I confess to you today my sin, and I ask you to forgive me. And I ask for Jesus to be the king of my life. And as best I know how, I give you my life. And in that moment, there was surrender. Your words might look a little different than mine, but is your heart surrendered to Jesus? Are you giving him everything? That's salvation. That's how Jesus saves, when we give him everything. So if you're here today and you've never done that, may today be the day of surrender. I'll be standing right here. Pastor Corey Barnes will be standing right there. And we're all gonna stand together. But if you're here today, and you never trusted Christ, I invite you, come forward in this moment just saying, I want to follow him. Let's all stand together, and we're gonna respond in song as we worship the risen Lord together.